This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. A healthy work-life balance. When you hear that phrase, what goes through your mind? It's impossible, maybe, or that's just a myth. Or perhaps you know firsthand the pain of how your work negatively impacted your marriage, your family, or your personal life. Well, this topic is certainly not new, but I do believe that in our new work-from-home Zoom calls, always-online world that we're living in now, the hard edges between work and home have become even more difficult to define. On top of that, it does seem that for nonprofit leaders, the issue of finding a healthy balance between work and home is particularly challenging. Well, my guest today has just written a book about this very topic. My guest is Megan Hyatt Miller, and her new book is entitled Win at Work and Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. This is a conversation that you and I as nonprofit leaders need to continue to have. Well, Megan, thanks so much for being on the show today. Rob, thanks for having me. This is a blast. Absolutely. Well, you know, this topic of balancing work and home is a really critical one. Now, it's not a new one, right? But it does seem that with our work from home, Zoom call, always online world that we're living in now, particularly after last year, it's really blurred the lines even more when it comes to seeking to find that healthy balance between work and home. So before we dive into the topic, though, I just think for my listeners' sake, could you give us a bit of your background, both career-wise and experience-wise, just so they get a sense of uh, who you are and where you're coming from? Yeah. So I'm the CEO of Michael Hyatt & Company. My dad and I are business partners in that business. We are a performance coaching company that really helps leaders and their teams, both in for-profit and nonprofit, get the vision alignment and execution they need to, just like this new book we have, that's just come out, win at work and succeed at life. That's something that we call the double win. And, you know, there's a lot of people that can help you to scale your business or build a significant business, but we want to do that while also helping you to be thriving and really succeeding, truly succeeding in the rest of your life. So we do that through corporate training. We do that through group and one-on-one coaching. And we also do that through our planner product or 90-day planner called the Full Focus Planner. So those are the ways we kind of engage with our audience. But I came into the business in 2012. We started in 2011. My dad was the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, which is the largest Christian publishing company in the world. It's now called HarperCollins Christian Publishing. And he left there in 2011, started our company. And we were just rapidly scaling. You know, I was involved with the business, um, honestly, a a part-time basis right at the very beginning, but that quickly became full-time and it quickly scaled faster and faster and faster. I have a marketing background. And uh, at a certain point, you know, things got to a level of growth where he came to me and he said, I want you to become the chief operating officer of this company. 
And at the time, I now have five kids. At that time, I had four kids. My husband and I had adopted two boys from Uganda in 2011, and they were three and 14 months at the time. And they had some special needs, as all kids who are available for adoption do. And so I was really faced with what felt like an impossible choice, right? Like, am I going to prioritize these kids who need me and who I really have a narrow window to create attachment with and meet their needs? Or am I going to take this big job, big executive position, and try to kill it with that, and maybe, you know, my husband would stay home or something else to make that work on the home side. I didn't really like either of those options, and so I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, um, I I feel like I can do this job. I feel like I can kill it, but I have kind of a caveat. I need to be done every day at 3.30, so I can pick my kids up from school and be fully present with them after school. I can't travel a lot. I can't be out with clients at night. You know, I can't be working on the weekends. I've got to constrain my work day to this 9 to 3.30 kind of time period. And I don't know if you're up for that, but, you know, if you're willing to try it, I am. And he said, yeah, let's let's do an experiment. Let's give it a try. We tell the story in the book. And it has just absolutely worked. You know, I, I think that in many ways, the constraints around my work day, which I have maintained ever since that, you know, now many years ago, have driven my success, my ability to succeed, because as we talk about in the book, creativity, or rather constraints, really foster creativity and innovation and freedom. We make better decisions. We have better ideas when there are hard edges than we do when there are no edges, just kind of like we think about our finances, right? Uh, We have a budget. We tend to make better decisions. Same thing is true in our organizations and our businesses. Oh, we love that. Well, so talk a little bit more about that. Sounds like you've already shared a bit. First of all, just the the work day, that schedule has been very challenging. But as the CEO of your dad's company, maybe some of the biggest challenges you've faced before COVID and then certainly during COVID, what have been those biggest challenges besides obviously the schedule and, and things like that? And we'll dive a bit more into how you've balanced that with five kids, which by the way, that's incredible. So my hat's off to you already. Thank you. Well, you know, I think the the challenge that any leader has in a rapidly scaling organization, whether that's nonprofit or for for profit, is there's always more to do than there is time. There's always bigger dreams that you have for the future than what you can realize in this moment. And if you're doing it right, your job description is kind of always changing. You're always going to the next thing. It's all you're always um, hopefully leveling up to a higher and higher level of contribution. And the question becomes, how do you do that? if you're still hanging on to all the stuff you did previously. So I think my challenge has been, as I've moved from the chief operating officer to the CEO role, is, okay, what am I going to let go of that I was doing that was really important and still very important for the business, but I can give to someone else so that I can be focused on, you know, driving the future vision of the company and executing on that vision. And so um, that, I think, has just over overall been the biggest challenge, I think, in covid the biggest challenge were a couple of things. For our team, it was all of a sudden we went to a remote work environment, which was not a big deal for us because we had been doing that in a kind of hybrid form for a long time. But the difference was all the kids were home, right? There's no daycare. There's no babysitters. There's no school. The kids are doing school remotely. And all of a sudden, the work and professional or work and personal worlds just absolutely collided. And our team was overwhelmed by that, as we all were. I was too, you know, all of a sudden I've got my kids home all the time and they came to us and they said, guys, working eight hours in this kind of a stressful environment, juggling all this stuff feels like working 16 hours. I don't know what we're going to do about it. And so my dad and I talked and we decided, 
you know, that perhaps if this six and a half hour workday that I had been doing for all these years worked for me, maybe it could work for our team. So we did an experiment. We moved to a six hour workday, nine to three. And for a month, we thought, let's try it for a month. This is in like late March, early April last year. And we never looked back, really. You know, we began pursuing it as an experiment, then quickly decided we wanted to keep it permanently and have been steadily working toward the implementation of all the things that are necessary to make that work. What's amazing about that is, is that our operating results in terms of our profit, we beat our aggressive goal by 50% last year, working about 25%. Oh, so it was only, so in a sense, 30 hours a week is what you're saying. 30 hours a week. That's right. We have a lot of parents with kids and enables them to pick kids up from school. And that's really meaningful. So we, we settled on that. Um, but it's been fantastic. Well, that is fascinating. And I think that's going to be interesting for my listeners to, yeah, okay, maybe they're going to change up their work schedule here for that as they hear that. Well, and you've already mentioned this, you've got a new book out with your dad called Win at Work and Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. So you've already kind of mentioned a few of the nuggets that we're going to get into, but let's talk a bit about the research that went into it. What were some of the biggest surprises that you found along the way as you were doing your research? Well, one of the things that I think became apparent very quickly is that overworking is not actually more productive. Once you get past about 45 hours a week, you're not any more productive than you would be otherwise. So in essence, it's almost like a vanity metric. You know, I think this becomes this kind of hustle currency in our culture where we brag about I work 55 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 hours a week. But in reality, there's a law of diminishing returns that is taking place. And that's very clear in the research that it's just, you know, we really get five to six hours of truly productive work per day. And the rest is kind of junk time, you know, um, which is why we felt confident going to the six hour workday. And by the way, that's not the premise of the book is that everybody needs to go to six hour workday. That for us is what this looked like. It's not necessary or prerequisite in any way. You can certainly work a regular 40 hour week or whatever but that you're really not getting gains if you're working past kind of a normal, reasonable number of hours. And so then it begs the question, well, gosh, why are we doing it? And what can we do to stop doing it so that we really are as productive as possible? You know, I like to say, as I've been talking to people about this book, um, we're talking about work-life balance. This is not kind of a soft and warm and fuzzy, like, magazine cover article sort of a topic. This is really a performance strategy. So if you're someone who considers yourself a high achiever, you you know you have an impact to make in the world through your ministry or your organization, and you're thinking about how can I do that? How can, how can I just really maximize that? The things that we talk about in the book are really about making your work and your personal life work together to maximize your performance in both places. They don't have to be at odds with each other. And that's exciting to me because I think the the myth that we have been led to believe is that they are in conflict with one another and you have to choose. And that's just not true. I'm glad you mentioned that because I would like to ask, you know, this uh, in your book, you seek to debunk that widely held belief that in order to be truly successful at work, it would be at the expense of your family. So you talk about this concept of double win, which you've already mentioned a bit to find it again for my listeners, define that term double win, and then share more about your perspective on that. How can someone truly succeed at work and home? It sounds good, but how do you really do it? But how do we do it? Yeah. Well, 
first of all, I think we're presented with these two options, and I kind of alluded to this in my own story. One in the culture is called what we what we call the hustle fallacy, which is, you know, you think about, like, people on Instagram, and they've got, like, T-shirts that say hashtag hustle, you know, on it, or people like Elon Musk who are sleeping in their office, and they've got five kids they haven't seen in years, and they're working 100 hours a week. You know, that's a really extreme example. But for most of us, what it looks like is, okay, just until I get this initiative off the ground, or just until I launch that ministry, or just until I, I've got this new product done, or just until I hire these people, I've got to really put the pedal to the metal. And family, you know, I'm going to miss a lot of dinners and soccer games and whatever. I'm not going to be able to work out, but it's okay because it's only temporary. And then temporary becomes permanent, and it becomes your way of being in the world. And you end up looking back with regret because your relationships with the people you love the most are compromised, your health is compromised. And sometimes you can't get those things back, you know, so that that option doesn't work. But then people look at that oftentimes and they say, no, I don't want that. Instead, here's this other option, which we call the ambition break, which is where you tap the break of your professional potential ambition, your your really your impact in the world. And you say, I'm willing to sacrifice that because I don't want to give up my relationship with my kids, my spouse, my family, my friends, my ability to, you know, love on those people, my health, whatever. And so I'm going to tap the brake. The problem is both of those require a significant compromise, we think, that ends in regret. And so the double win says, no, neither of those are the best option. The third option is the way, and that is the idea that you can win at work and succeed at life. And it all really starts with this idea of defining what the double win means for you. We talk about in a book, really, that you look at three kind of areas of your life and start thinking in terms of non-negotiables because we all know there is not enough time to do it all, right? We've all tried. It's always a failure. It always is badly. There's not enough time, but there is enough time to do the most important thing in your life as long as that's not everything. And so we have to start making choices. So, for example, if we think about self-care, you know, the basis for all, you know, high performance, what for you are the non-negotiables? In terms of your self-care, you know, for me, that looks like I go to bed at nine o'clock. You know, you ask how I do it with with five kids. That's a big part of it. Getting sleep is mission critical. And I know some of you guys have young kids, little kids that aren't sleeping. And I have been there and that's tough. And thankfully, that's a season, you know, so be kind to yourself on this one. But for those of you who are not, sleep is critical. I also exercise in the morning for 45 minutes, Monday through Friday. And we have a little home gym thanks to COVID. I drink 64 ounces of water a day. I've always got my big cup, you know, full of water that I'm drinking. And then I plan my food for the day because I'm really prone to skip meals. And when I get too hungry, I I turn into a not very nice person. (laughs) Not to mention I don't make good choices, you know, about all kinds of things, including my food. So that's self-care. And then the next area is relational priorities. You know, what matters to you? If you can only do a few things relationally. And there's lots of things that you're going to decide are not that are negotiable. You're not, they're not mission critical for you. What is mission critical for me? That looks like I've got to be home with my family having dinner five nights a week. Now, what we eat for dinner is not part of the non-negotiable. You know, that could be Chick-fil-A on paper plates for all I care. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. What matters is looking in my kids' eyes, right? Um, it looks like Chick-fil-A sounds pretty good though. That sounds good right now. You know, so then like a date night with my husband as well as going to church for us. So, you know, those are those things. And then professional results. What are you responsible for professionally that's non-negotiable? If you don't do these things, 
if you don't deliver these results, you're not going to have a job or you're not going to be able to make an impact in the world and getting really clear on those. So those three areas, self-care, relational priorities, and professional results, start to frame up what a double win means for you. And then there's some much more practical steps we get into in the book and how do you start to implement those things. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I like all those uh, comments. Really, really good stuff there. And now to maybe get the background on this, um, I mentioned to you before we uh, started the show, there is a well-known nonprofit leader, speaker, blogger named Vu Lei, and he has a recent article actually entitled this. You'll love the title. We need to talk about our toxic obsession with productivity. And this really uh, edgy article, and particularly now, actually, since COVID has started, this is an issue. And I think especially with nonprofit leaders, for whatever reason, I feel like it's a work hazard that's specific to to nonprofit leaders. So where do we get this idea that we need to work so many hours historically? I know you dive into it with your book. And then again, maybe specifically, why do you think it's so prevalent in the nonprofit world? Yeah, well... I think the reason it's so prevalent in the nonprofit world is because there's so much at stake. I mean, the, the work that you all are doing in nonprofit, I mean, people's lives are at stake, people's futures are at stake. I mean, the work you're doing matters and you know it. Like real people are on the other side of that. It's not, it's not just nice if you do what you do for them. You know, it, it can be life or death in one way or another. Changing the trajectory of people's lives to so the pressure of that, that, that sense of what's at stake, I think can be crushing for people. So um, so that's what I would say. You know, in the book, we talk about that really there are five ideas that we've accepted that are what we consider to be the cult of overwork. And the first one is, is that work provides the primary orientation of life. And this is just what in American and Western culture, we've all been led to believe, you know, this is the thing. We're either getting ready to work or we're working or recovering from being, from, you know, working. And it's just kind of this cycle. And in reality, there are 10 domains of life of which your vocation is only one. And when you neglect those other areas, you are putting yourself at risk for not being able to deliver long-term success. If you think of somebody like Serena Williams or Tom Brady, you know, two people that have had incredibly long and successful careers, you wouldn't imagine that they could perform at that level and contribute at that level if they were overtraining, right? They would be hmm. sidelined by energy, their injuries, they would be um, have their, they would have their careers cut short, and yet overtraining and overworking are, are functionally the same thing. And so I think remembering that work is only one of primary of the orientations of life is really helpful. 
The next thing is that I think we've come to believe that constraints stifle our productivity. And this is really true post-COVID because it's sort of like the banks of the river, you know, everything overflowed and there's no hard edges to contain anything. We're, we're home or where we're working is where we're living. And, you know, there's just no natural hard edges. And so we think that if we put hard edges on our day and say, I'm going to work from this time to this time, well, I'm not going to be able to be productive. In reality, it's the exact opposite, exact opposite. But this is a big one. And then I think we've all come to believe work-life balance is a myth, you know, either because we're high achievers and we're like, that's too, you know, soft, that's not serious enough for me, or because we're a little cynical because that has been an empty promise. And we tried it, and basically people have said, oh, no, you can do it all. You just have to have these special hacks. And that's just not true. We can't do it all. We can do the things that are most important, but we can't do it all. And then, of course, that there is this kind of prevailing myth that people have to always be busy and that rest is a waste of time, you know, that rest is time. It could be repurposed for work. And I think, you know, those are really in play. I will tell you, the sneakiest one of all, though, is that sometimes, and it's really true in COVID, when we're at work, we get acknowledged. We have a sense of identity. We get to check things off in little pretty boxes and feel that sense of accomplishment. When we go home, I don't know about you, but when I go home to my two-year-old, as a 41-year-old mom, you know, I'm like, whoa, I'm tired, you know, and she's crazy and crawling all over everything, and I'm trying to make dinner, and, you know, I mean, that I have to mentally prepare myself and have a conversation in my head that that is really important work, but that's a long game, and I mean, she's an absolute joy, but she's exhausting, right, and, and sometimes whether it's you're caring for family members with chronic illness, or you have little kids, or teenage kids, or maybe your marriage is tough. I mean, sometimes home is hard, and it certainly doesn't have the kind of definable wins that our work does, and I don't think we talk about that very much, and so I think that causes us, especially those of us who are achievers, we feel more comfortable in the space where all those edges are. We know when we're winning and all that kind of stuff. Oh, well said. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about those hard edges that have really kind of gone away during COVID. There's no doubt the lines have been blurred more than ever. I mean, I think a lot of people had already been commuting from home, so to speak, or working from home, but COVID kind of forced all of us there for a while, depending on what kind of work you do. And I like that term of the the hard edges were not there and therefore everything kind of blended together. And so one of the things I found interesting about your book and what you mentioned is that COVID actually changed your company for the better. So talk about that. How did the experience of COVID improve your company? Well, I think a lot of leaders have had this experience in the last year. We've all been forced to accept the reality that our employees, our teams, our whole people, you know, they have little kids. Now we've seen them on Zoom, right? You know, they have spouses, they have dogs, they have real lives and real challenges that are all of a sudden colliding with their work. And I actually think that's really healthy. I think that we're better leaders when we understand holistically that our that our people are more than just the function they serve in our organizations. I think that is a healthy thing to take responsibility for in many ways. You know, part of what we're advocating for when we talk about winning at work and succeeding at life, this is not just for leaders. This is really for everybody on a team. Our hope is that leaders will read this book and they'll say, what would it look like to build a culture in which I set my team up to succeed in the rest of their life. You know, when you have the ability as a leader to make choices like saying, guys, we're going to put some hard edges on our day, and I don't want to hear from you after 5 o'clock. 
You know, it needs to be an emergency. Otherwise, I'm with my family. I expect that you're with your family or the people that you love, taking care of yourself and doing the other things in your life that are important. I mean, that is an unbelievable gift to people. And I think that's the that's the invitation to all of us. And it doesn't mean we have to compromise our results. In fact, on the contrary, I think what you'll find if you're a leader is this is, a again, a performance strategy that will cause you to get better results, not the least of which is employee engagement, tension, recruitment, contribution, all those kinds of things. And that's certainly what we've seen at Michael Hyatt and Company. You know, that's interesting. I was just reading an article the other day that so many people now applying for jobs don't just ask about the job responsibilities, but they ask about the culture of the company that they're applying for. That's fascinating. I think that is a change, at least from my perspective, in the last couple of years. Now, going on back to you, you already mentioned you're a mom of five while being a CEO. Way to go. You're my new hero. True, that's incredible. Then maybe you could specifically talk to moms and dads of how you've been able to successfully find that balance in your busy world. What does it look like on a daily practical level? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I know I can't do it all and it requires help from other people. So I think that's really important. First and foremost, my husband, and I know not everybody's married who has kids. A lot of you guys are single parents raising kids and that's that is a lot. So I just want to honor that. But if you are married, I think it's easy, particularly for women, to forget that we need to negotiate with our spouse about how we're going to handle the household responsibilities. I certainly, for years, tried to do all the professional stuff and be responsible for overseeing all the personal stuff. And my husband was always willing to help. But what was really overwhelming to me was the thinking through everything, all the planning, you know, and We have kids with special needs, so that means that there's a whole other layer on top of that. And what we have learned to do over the last several years is to negotiate and say, okay, what's non-negotiable? Where do I feel like I make my greatest contribution as a mom? Where do I not? Where do neither of us make a good contribution? Maybe that's an opportunity to get some outside help. And Again, I know not everybody can do that. In our situation, we're able to do that to a certain extent, and that's helpful. But I think most importantly, for example, Doctor's appointments. I used to take the kids to every single doctor's appointment. A lot of moms do that. A lot of dads have never taken their kids to the doctor. I know a lot of you have, which is great. But, you know, I looked at my husband one day and I said, what if we did this differently? And he was like, yeah, I can totally take the kids to the doctor. Like, my schedule's less crazy than yours is. You know, I'm on a lot of interviews like this in my day and it's harder to move things around. He said, like, I can do most of that. Let me do it. And I went, yeah. My kids are not going to feel like I was less of a mom because I wasn't there when they got their two-year-old shots. You know, like, dad being there is great. Plus, it gives him the opportunity to have a really special relationship with the kids as well. And so that's just one example of how we've navigated and negotiated this stuff because we were clear on what our non-negotiables were. Well said. I love that. That's a great give and take and obviously a great dialogue you've had with your husband. And um, well done. Sounds like you've really tried to navigate that well. Um, All right. So for my listeners, you mentioned five things. What five things can leaders do to implement the double win within their organizations now? Well, I think first and foremost, this has to be a top-down initiative. What I mean by that, and this is like, this is one of the things I always run up against, and I wish it were not true, but it is true. But whatever we do as the leader becomes the de facto standard. So, for example, if you have core values in your organization, but you don't live by those core values, whatever you live by becomes the de facto list of values, right? So, for example, if you want to implement a double win in your company, you have to lead by example. 
You have to explain the why, you know, that this is really important, what you want for yourself, what you want for the team. And then you have to hold the line on that stuff. So if you say you're going to work from nine to five or nine to six or eight to five, you have to be diligent about not posting messages, not calling people, not texting people outside of those business hours, because otherwise what you communicate is, oh, he, he wasn't that serious or she wasn't really that serious. They really actually do want me to be on. They're just saying that, you know, we're going to do this like work-life balance thing, but they're not really serious about it. So that's the first thing. And then I think the next thing is reward people and hold people accountable for results, not tasks. So results and outcomes are what you want to do to win. If you hold people accountable for tasks, processes, that kind of stuff, that's going to drive you and them crazy. You don't need to micromanage people. Instead, you need to make the results very clear and leave it up to them how to most efficiently and effectively accomplish those things. So that's what I would say is it starts with you, and then it starts with lots of talking about how, you know, we're going to hold people accountable and how you can come behind them and make this possible. Where are the friction points in your organization? How can you think through those different things that are going to get in the way of this? But, I mean, people are going to be so motivated because of what's at stake for them. But this is a pretty easy sell, so long as they don't feel like um, there's a double standard, you know, like you're not really supporting them. Love it, love it. I hope my listeners are taking notes for this. Now, one more time, tell us the the, uh, title of your book and then tell us more how my listeners could connect with you or find out more about your work as well as uh, all that you do on the side. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, the book is called Win at Work and Succeed at Life. You can get it anywhere books are sold. You can pull out your Amazon app right now and click the buy now button. That's what I usually do. Of course, Barnes and Noble and elsewhere. But what I want to make sure you do is don't lose your receipt. Because if you go to winandsucceedbook.com slash nonprofit, so winandsucceedbook.com slash nonprofit, we have some really special bonuses for you guys, including a ticket to our live virtual event, which my dad and I are going to be doing an in-depth interview We don't even know what the questions are. They won't tell us. They promise they're going to be really revealing. Um, But just talking about how to get this double win in your own life, our own stories, some really vulnerable stuff. That's on April 20th. All kinds of other stuff, including the audio for the book, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't want to lose that receipt. Again, it's winandsucceedbook.com slash nonprofit. Oh, sounds good. Well, again, to my listeners, I encourage you to check out more of all that Megan's doing. Again, I'm impressed you're able to balance family, being a CEO, and you're providing great resources like this. I also know that you have two podcasts you didn't even mention, but uh, you can check her out and Google that. So yes, there's a lot going on in your plate, but thank you for sharing your insights with us today. And I really look forward to hearing my listeners interact with all that you've uh, offered today. So thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's been a real pleasure. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.